Welcome to the War in Ukraine update from Kyiv podcast. I'm Jessica Kanawa, a lecturer in international relations at Flinders University in Australia, and I'm talking today with Mac Tabri. Mac is a Russia researcher who focuses in his work on comparative post-Soviet politics, business state relations and corruption, particularly in the Russian context. Mac also reports for various news outlets, including BNE IntelliNews. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today, Mac. Thank you. I believe that you were actually located in St. Petersburg when Russia commenced the full-scale invasion of Ukraine on the 24th of February this year. What was the build-up like being located in Russia? Did you have any expectation of a full-scale invasion or did that come as a surprise? Yes, I would say I was surprised, but I, I wouldn't say I was surprised in the sense that it didn't seem to me a war was somehow beneath Russia, that Russia couldn't possibly launch an attack against Ukraine just because, after all, it did annex Crimea in 2014. It did have this, this history. I think the surprise came from a lack of understanding in terms of its domestic politics, in terms of domestic issues, what this would give to Russia. I, I didn't really understand why Russia would do this, given the fact that the, the priority of the, the ruling elite in Russia is to maintain regime stability. The political class in Russia with Putin at the top, their priority is to maintain power. Putin wants to maintain power. And so my thinking was that if Russia launched an invasion, if it started a war, it would be inviting threats and risks to regime stability. It wasn't only from my perspective, too. I remember in late 2021, in earlier this year, I was doing field research for my MA thesis in St. Petersburg. I was talking to, to politicians, to, to business people, journalists, government officials, and so on. And there was one interview that I did with a politician in St. Petersburg who is from the, the ruling party, United Russia. And during our interview, even though it was about business state relations on a local level, we somehow veered to the topic of, of Ukraine. And this politician who's been in politics since the 1990s essentially told me he thought it would be crazy if Russia attacked Ukraine. And he didn't understand what the goal would be. During another interview with a veteran journalist, um, also from St. Petersburg, Ukraine came up. He said something along the lines of this would be a, a death sentence for Putin. He'd be you know, signing his own death sentence by invading Ukraine. So I guess what I'm trying to say is a lot of people who should in theory, understand how Russia's political system works, failed to realize, first, how serious Putin was about uh, his intentions, and second, how the elite class in Russia would be willing to go along with such a disastrous war for Russia, but I mean, obviously for Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And what was the reaction amongst your associates in Russia at the time? Everyone was shocked, but you know, you also have to keep in mind that, you know, I'm an American, I'm a foreigner in Russia. So I tend to make friends with people who are at least willing to, to talk with me, to talk with an American. And also as a setting in St. Petersburg, which is, you know, generally regarded as Russia's most opposition-minded city. My friends, my colleagues, acquaintances were never really supportive of Putin or the regime. And the fact that they were against the war and are still against the war isn't really a surprise. By now, I would say that around 90% of my friends have left Russia and they're all in various countries. Mm -hmm. I remember in the early days talking to some people within Russia, my impression was over the first few weeks, people were really disturbed and very unsettled. But as the weeks passed, people more and more began to just 
get on with their lives, you know, which sounds maybe weird to say if you're looking from the perspective of Ukraine where there are such huge costs and massive destruction that's ongoing. Did Putin's announcement of the partial military mobilisation shift that again, that people felt, okay, the costs of this are coming home to us, not just to people in Ukraine and are going to be difficult to ignore? I would say that, yes, over the past several months, there was this uh, war fatigue. I don't think this is specific to Russia, though obviously it's it's more relevant for Russia since Russia is the one waging this war against Ukraine and Russians are, are citizens of that country. For you know individuals, psychologically, it's difficult to live with this constant thought of your, your country killing innocent civilians, destroying uh, civilian infrastructure, you know, destroying homes. There comes this point where you try to live you know, some semblance of an ordinary life as much as you can. And then in terms of mobilization being this turning point for Russians and their attitudes towards the war in Ukraine, several of my friends left Russia since mobilization was announced. I have a few friends who even received their draft summons, but they had already left the country. It is bringing um, the war home to, to many families, either those who've had a family member mobilized or somebody who's hiding from mobilization, or in other cases, somebody has fled. The war is much more real for ordinary Russians. There was this poll done recently by this uh, Russian pollster called Russian Field, and they showed that about 64% of respondents support mobilization, while 31% do not. Generally, you have to look at these polls in Russia right now with a lot of skepticism, not in terms of the numbers are 100% fake. It's just the authoritarian context of Russia, political repression. People worry that any amount of opposition to the war could be contrived as basically a crime. This is making it difficult to get a clear understanding of, of sentiments within the country. But what was interesting with this poll, at least, that I noticed is that there's this huge gap between generations in terms of support for mobilization. So younger generations, people age. 18 to 26, the number of those of those people in that age cohort, the 50% of them were against mobilization. Whereas 70% of respondents ages 44 and older supported mobilization. Again, looking at these numbers with uh, some healthy skepticism with a grain of salt, nevertheless, this, this generational you know, divide. Mm-hmm. I wonder what all of this is going to mean for Russia generally and for Putin's regime more specifically, given that we've seen that Putin is clearly deciding to double down on Russia's invasion of Ukraine, declaring the annexation of some additional territories in Ukraine, some of which have already been retaken by Ukrainian forces since that time. So How do you see the situation evolving in coming months? So I can't really comment on the war itself as that's beyond my realm of expertise. Let's say I'm not a military analyst, but there are a few things I'm paying attention to outside of Russia and within Russia. So if we're talking about what's going on outside of Russia, I'm paying attention to public sentiment in the United States. And part of that is the midterms that are happening tomorrow. We're recording this on November 7th. So tomorrow, there are going to be the the midterms um, in the United States. And that's important because the United States is the biggest supporter of Ukraine in terms of, of aid, of military aid and you know traditional aid. And just given what some Republicans have been saying, it's possible that if Republicans do win a majority in the House, that they might cut back on aid to Ukraine, and that could have a significant impact. So I'm paying attention to what's, what's happening in the United States. Domestically in Russia, 
I don't think anything dramatic will happen domestically in Russia in the coming months. There definitely won't be any popular uprisings or protests in the near future. I'm skeptical that they would happen at all. In the near term, I, I really cannot imagine that any popular uprisings or protests would happen in response to mobilization, even in response to non-payments for mobilized troops, which is becoming a problem right now. There are troops protesting, not having received their payment that they were promised by the Russian government. I think the payment was 195,000 rubles. It's a one-time payment. And in response to this unrest at the fact that they're not being paid, Putin signed a decree a few days ago, basically saying that the government needs to figure this out, that it's becoming it's becoming a problem and they need to figure out how to get these troops this one-time promised payment. But Right now, those protests from mobilized soldiers seems to be in specific areas. It seems to be isolated, nothing national in scale. And I don't think it will become national in scale. And I think despite shocks to Russia's economy, the really shoddy mobilization in general, where we see the troops aren't fully supplied, where they don't even have equipment sometimes, they don't have guns, and also weakening state capacity in Russia just because of the economic shocks, even With all of that in mind, I don't think that there's going to be any kind of mass unrest. But we'll see. We'll see in the coming months um, how mobilization pans out, whether it's a complete disaster or it's in some way or another sustainable. I've heard people who are military analysts say that even if mobilization is more or less successful, even if Russia is able to mobilize some number of troops, albeit with problems, it doesn't really solve the core problems limiting Russia's military capabilities. Another thing that could potentially shift things as well within the Russian domestic context is the extent of military failures for Russia. So you're currently based in Georgia, and that's one country where there have been influxes of Russians following Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine on the 24th of February, but then again after Putin's declaration of the partial military mobilization in September. So what are you observing within Tbilisi, where you are? What are you observing as the impacts or the effect of that? That's a good question. And it's a question I'm still trying to answer for myself with the what the mood is like here in, in, in Tbilisi and in Georgia more more broadly speaking. I arrived here only in the middle of September, so I'm still trying to understand all this myself. And I'm also looking at this all from, from my perspective, my American perspective as not being Georgian. But if we talk about objective changes here in Georgia, then of course we see price inflation of goods, products and services here in Georgia. We also see a, a big jump in rental prices. Landlords hiked up the prices of their apartments that they rent out during the first wave, but even more so now after mobilization. And I know that finding affordable apartments, affordable housing here in Tbilisi is a big problem, especially for for students, for university students. As a result of the influx of Russians with prices going up, some aren't able to afford to live here in Tbilisi. I'm not sure there's even data on this, but some students I've heard have put off their studies since they can't find anywhere to live. And in general, I think it's important to to remember that these price changes are very significant for locals. Obviously, there is some anxiety and some irritation among Georgians. I've had a hard time finding polls in general on some of these issues, some of these questions like attitudes towards Russians. But I I can say that at least some percentage of the population is definitely not thrilled about the influx of of, of Russians. I saw some interesting data this morning. It's data from Georgia's interior ministry that shows about 511% more Russians have entered Georgia this year compared to last year. 
And uh, this data also shows that more than 200,000 Russian citizens crossed the Russian-Georgian border. But the thing is, from this data, we don't know how many of these Russians left Georgia. We just have data from Russians coming into Georgia, no exit data. But there is other data out there that shows that around 45,000 Russians opened up accounts here in Georgian banks. So that's obviously not tourists. That's obviously not people who are coming here just for a week or two for short-term basis. It's people who plan to be here for at least for at least the medium term, if not the long term. And apparently also a lot of Russians are registering legal entities. So that allows them to, to run a business. And a lot of Russians are also purchasing apartments here. There's data that says about 3,000 apartments this year since the start of the war in Ukraine, 3,000 apartments were purchased by Russian citizens. And that's definitely people who are going to be here long term. I know among my acquaintances here in Georgia who come from Russia, most of them plan to stay here only for a short period of time. They all have the, the desire to either move to Europe or to the United States. And then sort of as far as domestic politics are concerned here, there have been protests here, uh, mainly in Tbilisi, where opposition groups, opposition parties have demanded the introduction of a visa regime with Russia. Right now, Russians can travel to Georgia without a visa. They can just use their, their passport. And th this initiative, this idea is mainly driven by opposition groups, some of whom don't have representation in parliament, or if they do, it's very minor representation. There was a protest, I remember, staged by this opposition group called DROA, and they've been big on this front. They've been big on this idea of introducing a, uh, a visa regime, of even instituting a, I think it's like an occupation tax, they call it. So there's this tax that Russians would have to pay if they want to enter Georgia. But the ruling Georgian Dream Party has essentially said that these ideas are unnecessary, that no limitations should be placed on Russians. But there's a lot of, I guess, domestic politics playing out here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've no doubt that has to shift the sociocultural and also political balance within the country and possibly raise underlying tensions. This type of phenomenon might become a fault line around which those tensions coalesce. In general, from, from what I understand, having talked to people here who follow domestic politics, in general, many Georgians don't really support the opposition, but they also don't really support the ruling party, Georgian Dream. However, from what I've understood is that even if ordinary Georgians aren't great supporters of the opposition, some of the ideas they've been proposing recently, like the, the visa regime, has, has struck a chord. I don't know the numbers on this, but it, it does seem that despite the opposition generally not being popular, some of these more recent ideas that they've been expressing in relation to the influx of Russians has at least some amount of support among the general population here in Georgia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, capturing some broader sentiment. It will be interesting to see what happens within Georgia in coming months. Thanks, Mac. I really appreciate you being on the podcast today and sharing your perspective yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Gonka Varol for our theme music.